0: Section 7 of Three Years in Europe, or Places I Have Seen, and People I Have Met. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Three Years in Europe, or Places I Have Seen, and People I Have Met. Letter 7. The Chateau at Versailles, Private Apartments of Marie Antoinette, The Secret Door, Paintings of Raphael and David, Arc de Triomphe, Béranger, the Poet. Versailles, August 31. Here I am. WITHIN TEN LEAGUES OF PARIS, SPENDING THE TIME PLEASANTLY IN VIEWING THE PALACE AND GROUNDS OF THE GREAT CHATEAU OF LOUIS XIV. FIFTY-SEVEN YEARS AGO, A MOB COMPOSED OF MEN, WOMEN, AND BOYS FROM PARIS, STOOD IN FRONT OF THIS PALACE, AND DEMANDED THAT THE KING SHOULD GO WITH THEM TO THE capital. I HAVE WALKED OVER THE SAME GROUND WHERE THE ONE HUNDRED THOUSAND STOOD ON THAT INTERESTING OCCASION. I have been upon the same balcony, and stood by the window from which Marie Antoinette looked out upon the mob that were seeking her life. Anxious to see as much of the palace as I could, and having an offer of the company of my young friend, Henry G. Chapman, to go through the palace with me, I set out early yesterday morning, and was soon in the halls that had often been trod by royal feet. We passed through the private as well as the public apartments, through the secret door by which Marie Antoinette had escaped from the mob of 1792, and viewed the room in which her faithful guards were killed, while attempting to save their royal mistress. I took my seat in one of the little parlor carriages that had been used in days of yore for the royal children, while my friend H. G. Chapman drew me across the room. The superb apartments are not now in use. Silence is written upon these walls, although upon them are suspended the portraits of men of whom the world has heard. Paintings representing Napoleon and nearly all his battles are here seen, and wherever you see the emperor, there you will also find Murat, with his white plume waving above. Callot's painting of the Battle of Marengo Hughes of the retaking of Genoa, and Bouchard's of the 18th Brumaire, are of the highest order, while David has transmitted his fame to posterity by his splendid painting of the coronation of Napoleon and Josephine in Notre-Dame. When I looked upon the many beautiful paintings of the last-named artist that adorn the halls of Versailles, I did not wonder that his fame should have saved his life. "'when once condemned and sentenced to death "'during the reign of terror. "'The guillotine was robbed of its intended victim, "'but the world gained a great painter. "'As Boswell transmitted his own name to posterity "'with his life of Johnson, "'so has David left his, "'with the magnificent paintings "'that are now suspended upon the walls "'of the palaces of the Louvre, "'the Tuileries, saint Cloud. Versailles, and even the Little Élysée. After strolling from room to room, we found ourselves in the Salle du Sacre, Diane, Salon de Mars, de Mercure, and de Apollon. I gazed with my eyes turned to the ceiling till I was dizzy. The Salon de la Guerre is covered with the most beautiful representations that the mind of man could conceive or the hand accomplish. Louis XIV, is here in all his glory. No Marie Antoinette will ever do the honors in these halls again. After spending a whole day in the palace and several mornings in the gardens, I finally bid adieu to the bronze statue of Louis XIV that stands in front of the palace, and left Versailles probably forever. Paris, September 2. I am now on the point of quitting the French metropolis. I have occupied the last two days in visiting places of note in the city. I could not resist the inclination to pay a second visit to the Louvre. Another hour was spent in strolling through the Italian hall and viewing the master workmanship of Raphael, the Prince of Painters. Time flies, even in such a place as the Louvre, with all its attractions and before I had seen half that I wished, a ponderous clock nearby reminded me of an engagement, and I reluctantly tore myself from the splendours of the place. During the rest of the day I visited the Jardin des Plantes, and spent an hour and a half pleasantly in walking among plants, flowers, and in fact everything that could be found in any garden in France. From this place we passed by the column of the Bastille, and paid our respects to the Bourse, or Exchange, one of the most superb buildings in the city. The ground floor and sides of the Bourse are of fine marble, and the names of the chief cities in the world are inscribed on the medallions which are under the upper cornice. The interior of the edifice has a most splendid appearance as you enter it. The cemetery of Père Lachaise was too much talked of by many of our party at the hotel for me to pass it by, so I took it after the Bourse. Here, like many of the great Marshals of France, the resting-place of each marked by the monument that stands over it, except one, which is marked only by a weeping willow and a plain stone at its head. This is the grave of Marshal Ney. I SHOULD NOT HAVE KNOWN THAT IT WAS HIS, BUT SOME UNKNOWN HAND HAD written WITH BLACK PAINT, BRAVEST OF THE BRAVE, ON THE UNLETTERED STONE THAT STANDS AT THE HEAD OF THE MAN WHO FOLLOWED NAPOLEON THROUGH NEARLY ALL HIS BATTLES, AND WHO WAS SHOT AFTER THE OCCUPATION OF PARIS BY THE ALLIED ARMY. PEACE TO HIS ASHES. During my ramble through this noted place, I saw several who were hanging fresh wreaths of everlasting flowers on the tombs of the departed. A ride in an omnibus down the boulevards and away up the Champs-Elysees brought me to the Arc de Triomphe, and, after ascending a flight of one hundred and sixty-one steps, I was overlooking the city of statuary. This stupendous monument was commenced by Napoleon in 1806, and in 1811 it had only reached the cornice of the base, where it stopped, and it was left for Louis-Philippe to finish. The first stone of this monument was laid on the 15th of August, 1806, the birthday of the man whose battles it was intended to commemorate. A model of the arch was erected for Napoleon to pass through as he was entering the city with Maria Luisa after their marriage. The inscriptions on the monument are many, and the different scenes here represented are all of the most exquisite workmanship. The genius of war is summoning the obedient nations to battle. Victory is here crowning Napoleon after his great success in 1810. Fame stands here recording the exploits of the warrior, while conquered cities lie beneath the whole. "'but it would take more time than I have at command "'to give anything like a description "'of this magnificent piece of architecture. "'That which seems to take most with peace friends "'is the portion representing an old man "'taming a bull for agricultural labor. "'While a young warrior is sheathing his sword, "'a mother and children sitting at his feet, "'and Minerva crowned with laurels, "'stands shedding her protecting influence over them.' The erection of this regal monument is wonderful, to hand down to posterity the triumphs of the man whom we first hear of as a student in the military school at Brienne, whom in seventeen eighty four we see in the ecole militaire founded by Louis XV in seventeen fifty one, whom we again find at number five, quai des court near rue des Males. And in seventeen ninety four as a lodger at number nineteen, Rue de la Michandere. From this he goes to the Hotel Mirabeau, Rue du Dauphin, where he resided when he defeated his enemies on the thirteenth Vendemer. The Hotel de la Colonnade, Rue Nouveau de Capuchin, is his next residence, and where he was married to Josephine. From this hotel he removed to his wife's dwelling in the Rue Chaterraine, number 52. In 1796, the young general started for Italy, where his conquests paved the way for the ever-memorable 18th Brumaire that made him dictator of France. Napoleon was too great now to be satisfied with private dwellings, and we next trace him to the Elysee, saint Cloud, Versailles, the Tuileries. Fontainebleau, and finally came his decline, which I need not relate to you. After visiting the Gobilins, passing through its many rooms, seeing here and there a half-finished piece of tapestry, and meeting a number of the members of the late Peace Congress, who, like myself, had remained behind to see more of the beauties of the French capital than could be overtaken during the convention week. I accepted an invitation to dine with a German gentleman at the Palais-Royal, and was soon revelling amid the luxuries of the table. I was glad that I had gone to the Palais-Royal, for here I had the honour of an introduction to Monsieur Beranger, the poet, and although I had to converse with him through an interpreter, I enjoyed his company very much. The people's poet, as he is called, is apparently about seventy years of age bald on the top of the head and rather corpulent but of active look and in the enjoyment of good health few writers in france have done better service to the cause of political and religious freedom than pierre jean de beranger he is the dauntless friend and advocate of the downtrodden poor and oppressed and has often incurred the displeasure of the government by the arrows that he has thrown into their camp. He felt what he wrote, it came straight from his heart, and went directly to the hearts of the people. He expressed himself strongly opposed to slavery, and said, I don't see how the Americans can reconcile slavery with their professed love of freedom. Dinner out of the way, a walk through the different apartments and a stroll over the court, and I bade adieu to the Palais Royal satisfied that I should partake of many worse dinners than I had helped to devour that day. Few nations are more courteous than the French. Here, the stranger, let him come from what country he may, and be ever so unacquainted with the people and language, he is sure of a civil reply to any question that he may ask. With the exception of the egregious blunder I have mentioned of the cabman driving me to the Élysée, I was not laughed at once while in France. End of letter seven. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.